Are you here with the Bible this morning? Daniel. Find Daniel. We're going to be here one last time. Daniel chapter 12. As we conclude our journey this morning together through the book of Daniel, I want to take just a moment and and tell you that uh, Daniel is inspiring. Daniel is educational. Daniel is challenging. I've learned a lot. And I've had people tell me, you're crazy for trying to preach through the book of Daniel. But I want you to understand my heart, okay? Your your takeaway is between you and God. It always is. But I want you to understand my heart in studying the book of Daniel. I love the first half of the book. I think we all do. We're so familiar with it, the stories that we grew up on of, of men going through a fiery furnace, of giant idols and those who would not bow, of lion's dens and men who survived the night in the midst of those fierce beasts. And I mean, on and on and on those marvelous stories go. Please understand when I use the word story, I'm not saying they're not true because I believe that they are absolutely true. They are historical events, but they are stories in the sense that these are the accounts that are passed on to us. You get into the back half of Daniel where we've been since forever. I know that's how you, many of you feel. The prophecy, the visions, and what you take away from that Again, that's between you and God, but let me just tell you what my heart is in that. When I read the book of Daniel, I don't necessarily divide it into the two parts of this happened and then all of a sudden he's an old man and these are the things he saw, but rather what I see is here's the story of a man who in his early years witnessed the hand of God moving. And as he grew older, he realized The end was not going to be in his lifetime, but as he became a prayer warrior, God began to reveal things to him. And he saw that the God who moved in his past was in charge in the present and had a plan for the future. And friends, all the way through the book of Daniel, if you will look, you will find glimpses of the coming Savior. You'll find glimpses of Jesus appearing in person or the promise of his coming. And that's, to me, what Daniel should be about. It shouldn't be getting buried in prophecy and not being able to dig our way out. No, it ought to be the awareness that the Savior is coming, the Savior has come, and the Savior is coming again. That ought to be our focus as God's people. And so as we finish this book up, I I would challenge you, sometime in the near future, Not necessarily this afternoon, but sometime in the near future. Take the opportunity to sit down over one evening or a couple of evenings and just read through the book of Daniel and let God open your eyes. And maybe you'll see some things you haven't seen, some things we haven't talked about, or some things that might shape how you move forward in the days ahead. It's time to conclude the journey. If you remember, we started with Daniel almost two years ago. We went through the first six chapters, we paused, and then we picked up again in the back half. 
We're going to finish it. And I know some of you are going to walk out saying, I, I still got questions. Me too. But if it's any encouragement, you're going to discover as we read through this this morning that as it draws to a conclusion, even Daniel still had questions about what he had seen and heard. It didn't all make sense to him. But before we read chapter 12, let's remind ourselves of what happened in the last half of chapter 11 last week. We were introduced to a contemptible person who was coming, a, a king of the north, and everything that we're told about him was fulfilled in the person of Antiochus Epiphanes, who defiled the temple and aroused a revolt that was led uh, by the Maccabees among the Israelite people. From that point, there's a, a long leap in the narrative, a time lapse, if you will. It's kind of like that back to the future moment, if you will. I, you know, Daniel didn't have a DeLorean to get into, but, but he, he took that, that leap in time from the predictions that were filled around 165 B.C. across the centuries, past the coming of Christ in the first time, to arrive at a vision concerning the last days and the coming of another king who would defile the temple. He would do everything that Antiochus Epiphanes had done, but he would do it more wickedly. He would do it bigger, and he would reign in terror over the world until he is destroyed by divine power, which happens at the end of chapter 11. And now we come to the 12th chapter. The first few verses conclude the vision that was chapters 10 and 11. And that sets us up for the closing of the book. But we're going to look at the whole chapter. So if you've got your Bible open, chapter 12, we're going to begin reading at verse 1 as we take this opportunity to see the final word. If you have your Bible open there, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. Follow along with me. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, 
Because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand. But those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will arise to receive your allotted inheritance. Would you pray with me? Father, we stand before you amazed. A God who had a plan for the end before he ever spoke the beginning. It's more than we can comprehend. And so we take little bits and pieces, Father, and we ask you, show us your truth. Help us to see, to understand, to be a people of wisdom. A people who understand that we are here to serve you. A people who understand that our purpose, our calling, our reason for existing is to bring honor and glory to you. Father, I pray that as we look upon these verses together this morning, you would teach us your truth. Father, those things which are hidden, we thank you for them. And we look forward to the day of their unveiling. In the meantime, Father, I pray that this morning you would focus our eyes on the main thing. Now teach us what you'd have us to know for we're ready to listen and learn. But we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. For Daniel and all of his readers, including us, Having read what we've read, him having seen what he saw, we have to come to grips with some really simple facts. And people want to take Daniel and they want to complicate it and make it into something really hard. And I'm just going to tell you right now, hard is not the issue. Simple is the issue. The end is coming. We are present in this moment. And so our task is to figure out how do we best live as citizens of the kingdom of God while we are here on this earth and awaiting the end that has already been written and promised. We live in a world that I I know so many times it's antagonistic, it's hostile, sometimes even dangerous for those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, let's look at chapter 12 and see if we can figure out what to do because I think Daniel kind of gives us a roadmap here. And I think the roadmap starts with the simplest of things trust in God. Trust in God. Why? Because God is the one who protects and rescues. Look back at verse 1. At that time, Michael, this is the archangel, the great prince who protects your people. You want to know who's in charge of watching out over God's people? God's best warriors. So if that doesn't make you feel good, you know, I, I listen, I, I know sometimes we look at it and think, man, we're kind of out here on our own. No, we are not. God has provided his very best. Look at what it says. At that time, 
at that time. This ties us back to verses 35 and 36, the end times, the end days. Even in the worst of days, in the worst days that history is ever going to see, God's people will not be left to their own devices. We will not be left at the mercy and the hand of this world. No, God is going to raise up for us our defender, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, the archangel. I had someone ask me one time, how can God possibly say he loves us and then do that? I said, what are you talking about? How could God leave his people in the hands of a mere angel in the face of such grave and serious danger? Now, I just want to stop for a second. I want to tell you a couple of things. Don't, don't low-grade Michael, all right? Michael is an angel, and he's a godly angel. He's not a fallen angel. He's a godly angel. He's a good guy, but he's one bad dude, all right? Don't mess with Michael. Jude verse 9 Jude verse 9 tells us that Michael has been doing battle with Satan for a long, long time. In fact, Jude 9 tells us that Michael and Satan had a fight over who was going to get Moses' body. I don't think that Satan won. You can fast forward into the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12, we read that there's going to be a great battle in heaven. And guess who's leading the armies? Satan on the one side and Michael on the other side leading the forces of heaven. Guess who wins? Michael. Satan is going to be captured alive and he is going to be cast into the pit of fire according to that. Listen, the angels aren't gods. They're not little gods. They're ministering spirits that are sent out by the Lord to minister to his people. They always have been. They always will be. But For those who are suffering, those who are struggling, those who are being persecuted, those who are going through hardship and trial and tribulation, we should find comfort in the knowledge that at that time, in that moment of evil, in that moment of trial, in that moment of tribulation, in that moment of suffering, Michael, the great prince, the archangel, the servant of God, the one who protects his people is coming to our defense. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm just not sure that this stuff's really even going to happen. Bide your time, sit back and watch. All right? Daniel said it's going to happen. Ezekiel said it was going to happen. All throughout Scripture, we find it. Jesus himself said it's going to happen. Jesus said, In John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And then he turns around in Mark chapter 13 and he gives us basically a repeat of what Daniel said. He said, those will be days of distress that are unequaled from any time in the beginning. When God created the world until now, they will never be equaled again. The worst days that will ever be, Jesus said, are yet to come. But notice, notice what it says in verse 1 at the back half of this verse. People want to say, can I just say something? New Testament, Old Testament, it's all God's book. It's all God's word, and it all ties together. Look at the end of verse 1. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. In the book, 
Now, scholars are just all torn up over this thing. I, I can't tell you how many different people I read and they're struggling with this book. This book. Let me just settle this issue for you once and for all. I don't, I, listen, I don't claim to be a scholar. I claim to be a simpleton who trusts God to tell us what we need to know. And I think that when he tells us here about those whose names written are in the book are, are the same people we're reading about when we get into the book of Revelation. The book that's being described here is the Lamb's book of life. Folks question it. I hope you do because that'll mean you go home and read and see if I'm right or not, all right? So here's your notes. You can take these down. You can go home and check it out. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and verse 15. Here's what it says. I saw the dead. Small and great standing before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. That's verse 12. Verse 15 says and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the book of life contains those who have eternal life. If your name's not in there you don't have eternal life. You're going to be cast into hell. And people hear me say that and say, well, yeah, but I read those verses and it doesn't say the Lamb's book of life. You're right, it doesn't. But, not through yet. Revelation 21, 27 gives us more of the same picture. John's talking about the new Jerusalem. And he says of the new Jerusalem, there shall by no means enter anything into it that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those whose names are written in, are you ready for it? The Lamb's book of life. So what's the big deal about the Lamb's book of life? Who is the Lamb? Jesus Christ. It's his book. And the only way you get your name written in his book is to come to him. He writes the entry. He puts your name in that book of life. Now, in case you're saying, well, I'm just not sure I'm buying into this. I want you to know what's ahead of us, folks. Resurrection lies ahead. Look at verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth. What's that? They've died. They've been buried. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We return to the earth what God made from the earth. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. They're coming back. It's resurrection. What happens at the resurrection? Some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. You see, it's appointed unto men once to die and after this, Judgment. That's what comes. There's a resurrection, and after the resurrection, there's a judgment. The redeemed will appear before the Bema seed of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Those who have rejected God and His Son, Jesus Christ, will appear at the great white throne in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. What's the difference? If you arrive at the Bema seat of Christ, you are coming to stand in judgment and be declared righteous, holy, and acceptable in the sight of God. You know what that means? Heaven. Eternal life, salvation. Those who appear before the great white throne appear for judgment. 
But their, their name is not in the Lamb's book of life. They are without hope. They will be called to give an accounting, and no matter what account they give, it will not be sufficient. It will not be satisfactory. It will not meet the requirements of a holy judge. And they will be condemned, Daniel says, to shame and everlasting contempt. We call it hell. We call it damnation. We call it the fiery pit. We call it whatever God has called it in his book. So what do we do with this? Well, let me just tell you very quickly. Stay on task and on target. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You want to light up the heavens? Start telling people about Jesus. Start sharing God's love. You start letting people know through your life, through your words, through your actions, through your deeds, through your service, that you serve a mighty God and a Savior who will never be defeated or overcome. Man, this is a marvelous word of encouragement. Even before Jesus came, the Great Commission was given. Even before Jesus came, here's God telling his people, be about my business, make disciples, encourage others to turn from sin, to turn to God. Even before Jesus came, here's a reminder. Here's a reminder. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. People are going to chase after it forever, trying to figure it out. Listen, this doesn't mean don't open the Word of God, don't read the Word of God, don't pay attention to the prophecy. What it means is make sure that this is closed. Don't let anybody add to or take away from, to change or distort the Word of God. Now, friends, I'm just going to get right out here and be politically incorrect and share my heart with you, okay? But I want you to hear what I'm saying. If you are strong in your faith, if you are comfortable in what you believe, if you are confident that you can take what you believe and you can present it to someone, and no matter what they say, they are not going to change your heart, they are not going to turn you from the Word, they are not going to alter your convictions, and then one day someone knocks on your door and you open it and find there some young men who have arrived on bicycles in your driveway. Now, that's one group, but they're not the only group. But I want you to hear what my heart is. There are a lot of folks who are missionaries for the devil himself. And I know that there are always, in any Baptist church I've ever pastored, people sitting there who say, you better be very careful, preacher. I have family members that belong to, I have family members who actively serve in, in the name of Jesus Christ, I love you, but I could not care less. You need to be trying to win your family members to Jesus. Understand me. The Bible that a Mormon will bring into your home is not the same as the Bible you're holding in your hand. It has been altered and it has been changed. And it has been added to by the visions, quote unquote, of Joseph Smith. The Bible that will be carried into your home by Jehovah's Witnesses is not the same as the Bible you hold in your hands. It has been altered. It has been added to and subtracted from by those who propagate those lies. And I want you to understand that the book of God 
is complete, it is whole, and it is a closed revelation. There is no more to be added to it. When you get to the end of the book of Revelation, God himself says, let any man be cursed who adds to or takes away from this revelation. It is a closed word. So be very careful about what you allow people to bring into your homes or share to you. And don't come to my office and say, well, preacher, they opened their Bible and it was right inside there. It's the wrong Bible. It's not like what you've got in your hand or what I'm holding in mine. Be very careful. Be very careful, my friends. We need the pure, undiluted Word of God to keep us pure and strong and on task and on target. I got a sermon coming sometime. I don't know when it's going to happen. I've been working on it. I just hadn't found the shape for it. But I know a lot of folks are in an uproar because of all these marvelous, wonderful people who have been part of the Christian faith, who are turning from their faith and walking away from the church. I got a news flash for you. Something's wrong in their heart. And they haven't been following Jesus and they haven't been following the word. If they were, they would not be disillusioned by this or by that. I, I Listen, I love this church, but I don't serve this church. I serve the master of this church. I hope that you love this church because it's your church. And I hope you love your pastor. But I understand something. You shouldn't be serving your pastor. You ought to be serving Jesus. And if your pastor turns away from the word of God, you better call him on it. And if he won't correct his ways, you need to get rid of, don't leave the church, get rid of the pastor. Now that doesn't come easy for me, I want you to understand something. <laughs> not easy for me to say that, but it's the truth. Do not let heresy and falsehood be proclaimed in the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, I got to move. <laughs> I will not preach two sermons out of chapter 12. I will not preach two sermons out of chapter 12. If you knew how many times I said that this week in my office. Uh, so let's, let's, let's move ahead. He closes verse 4 saying, many will go there to, here and there to increase knowledge. Man, they're always chasing it. They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to get a handle on the details of prophecy and, and, and what's going on. But let's, let's move ahead and just find out what what Daniel would instruct us about. Verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river, one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, by the way, the man clothed in linen has already appeared to us, didn't he? Back in chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, is Jesus Christ himself. Okay? One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, the angels are standing on the bank, not Jesus. He's exalted. He's elevated. He's above the waters of the river. How long will it be before these astonishing things in this prophecy are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his hands toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be a time, time, and half a time when the power of the holy people has been finally broken. All these things will be completed. I heard it, but I didn't understand it. So I asked, My Lord, what will be the outcome of all this? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Friend, I want to just tell you something. If Jesus Christ himself would not tell Daniel himself in that moment when the vision had just ended, I got some really good advice for you, okay? You ready for it? Let God handle the details. Yeah. 
Let God handle the details. We all want to know. We all want to understand. We all want it to make sense to us. But here's Daniel standing by the Tigris River where all this has been going down. And now all of a sudden two more angels appear, one on either side of the river. And there's Jesus himself elevated above the waters of the river. And Daniel listens as one of the angels questions the Lord. When's it going to happen? When's this all going? When, when's, when do we get to fight, Jesus? And Jesus swears by God himself. It'll be a time, times, and a half time. We've already settled this earlier in the book, three and a half years. God will intervene in the midst of the worst evil that the world can do. But it's not going to be until God's chosen people seem to be utterly broken, defeated, fractured, and on the verge of absolute destruction. The reason he's going to wait until that moment is because whenever God wins a victory that way, there is no question in the mind of anybody who won the battle. It's Jesus Christ. It's him. He wins the victory. So here's the Lord telling Daniel, verses 8 and 9, go about your business. Daniel says, I heard, but it didn't make sense to me. So I ask him again, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? Verse 9, I love verse 9. I think verse 9 is so diplomatically correct. Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed to the end of time. Daniel, go take care of your own business. I got this. (laughs) I've got this under control. The plan's already drawn up. If you'll just go do what you're supposed to do, all of this will work itself out at the appropriate time when the end of time it comes. It's almost like Jesus is looking at him saying, mind your own business, son. If we accept that answer, which, by the way, we must. We have no choice in the matter. Then the question is simple. How should we live? What do we do right now? What are we as God's people supposed to do when we're waiting for the end? We know it's coming. I mean, it's been so clearly portrayed for us all the way through this book and through these visions. How shall we then live? I'm so glad you asked, even if you didn't. Still got your Bible open? Let's finish this. Verse 10, many will be purified, made spotless and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. There's a shocker, huh? Evil people are going to do evil. None of the wicked will understand. But those who are wise will understand. So let me just give you a word of encouragement. Pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Wicked people aren't going to get it. It's not going to make sense to them. But God tells us that anyway. He tells us over in the New Testament, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the message of God. It's the message of grace. It's the message of mercy. It is our hope of eternal life for those who are being saved. The wise get it. The wicked will not. Proverbs chapter 4. I read a portion of it to you last Sunday night. 
by the way, that wasn't a fluke. I was working on this sermon, and I thought, wow, that's good stuff. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5 directs us to get wisdom, to get understanding. Now, just read that verse and lay it alongside what we just read here in verse 10. Those who are chasing after wickedness, they're going to pursue everything the world has to offer, but they're going to miss out on everything that God has promised. So I challenge you, pursue wisdom. The second thing is this, persevere and endure. It's not always easy. It's challenging. Verses 11 and 12, from this time, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. Now, we can spend a whole lot of time here debating about the meanings of these days. Let me just suffice it to say this, okay? It's about three and a half years. That's what this boils down to. And I believe that it is actually the promise for those who are going to be brought out of the tribulation. That's my understanding. You don't have to agree with me, but I'm just going to tell you, whether you like it or you don't like it, there is going to be a lengthy, difficult time that is going to test faith. People are going to be executed. People are going to be punished. People are going to be persecuted. People are going to be martyred. This is just a part of it. And God's people will have their faith tested. God's desire for his people is that they would trust him. They would hold on to their faith with a vice grip hold. It says, I will not turn loose. It may bring the end. Persevere. Endure. He said, I'm not sure I can hold on that, that, that hard. Well, then let me get you to the third thing and we'll be done and you'll see it's worth it, okay? You ready? If you will persevere and endure to the end, I promise you, the end will be worth the journey. Look, look at the end. As for you, this is speaking to Daniel. Listen, Daniel's probably 90 years old or maybe a little beyond that at this point. What an amazing story he's told. From the time he was a young man, he said, uh, I'm not going to eat that food and drink that wine. Let's have a contest. That, that's where he started. All the way through all of the events... The giant idol, the trumpets blowing, the refusal to bow, spending the night with a bunch of big kitties, a blazing furnace that his friends passed through. Not alone, Jesus was there with them. Vision upon vision, king after king, and now it's kind of like my dad. He's, he's 90 or older now. And he's seeing things that don't make sense to me at my age. Didn't make sense to him when he was younger. But there's, there's vision that comes. There's clarity that comes even as other things begin to fade. And here is this 
great one speaking to Daniel and saying, as for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. Just serve me. Stay faithful. You're almost to the finish line. Go your way till the end. You will rest. This is the Lord's way of telling Daniel, you're going to die. It's okay. You're going to rest. And then at the end of days, what you've been looking at out there, that vision, at the end of days, you will rise and receive your allotted inheritance. You'll rise. It's okay, Daniel. You've run your race. You've finished the course. You've, you've kept your faith. You're going to rest. Don't be discouraged by rest, folks. This is, this is part of the glorious promise of God for his people. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors from this time forward. But even while you're resting, be ready. Because there's going to be a trumpet blast, and there's going to be a shout. There's going to be a great resurrection morning. I, I don't know when it is. I don't know what exactly it's going to be. But, I, man, I'm excited because one way or the other, I get to be a part of it. And those who have been faithful to the Lord and served him to the finish, to the end, will rise. Look at what it says. To receive your allotted inheritance. You're going to get what has been promised to you. And that, my friends, is the end of Daniel's record. He ends his, his record with the acknowledgement of a promise given to him for serving. And I believe with all of my heart that Daniel faithfully followed and served the Lord for the remainder of his days. It's an assumption, preacher. Yes, it is, and I like that one. Can I tell you something? I received my promise in Jesus Christ too. If the Lord doesn't come back in my lifetime, which I believe he's going to, but if he doesn't, my lifetime may not be very long, by the way. If he doesn't, I know this, I will rest from my labors. And on the appointed day, I will rise to receive my allotted inheritance. I don't know exactly what that means, but I can't wait to find out. I do know this. He's gone to prepare a place for me. And since he has gone to prepare a place for me, he is going to come back and receive me. He is going to take me to be with him so that where he is, I can be there too. I'm excited about that. I've got my promise. It's in the bag. I'm not worried about it. I'm just going to faithfully serve him as long as I live and wait until he decides to reveal how that's all going to come about. And I'm excited about it because you know, I've trusted him with the details. What about you? 
Have you received your promise? Have you recognized who he is? Have you acknowledged him as Lord and Savior? Have you given your life to him? Are you serving him, following him? Are you invested in leading others to become disciples as well? Are you letting him work in your life and through your life every day? If not, what are you waiting on? I promise you this. With every passing day, the days grow shorter and his coming is closer. And today, his promise is available to everyone in this room. If you've never, if you've never acknowledged him as Savior of the Lord, if you have never confessed to him that you're a sinner, listen, by the way, don't feel bad. That, that Jesus would ask you to acknowledge that you're a sinner? He knows we are. Every one of us. His word tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Me too. I am a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner. Saved by grace. We're all dirty, filthy, rotten sinners. You're either saved by grace or you haven't gotten to grace yet. But he offers it to you today. Would you confess your sin to him? Would you invite him into your life and ask him to forgive you? Would you turn from that sin and say, I'm chasing with all of my heart, with all of my soul. I'm chasing after Jesus from this day forward. And one of these days, I'm going to die and I'm going to rest. Don't know what rest means exactly, but it's not a soul sleep. Don't get that mess up, okay? But then I'm going to rise to my allotted inheritance. If you haven't got that promise, you need that promise. That promise is available to you this morning. And if the Spirit of God is putting a hunger in your heart and a desire to have it, I want to tell you something. In a moment after I pray, we stand, we begin to sing. If you need that promise, would you just come and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want that promise. I know I need that promise. I, I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot. I won't make you stand up and look at all these people and tell them what you did or anything. I'll, I'll do the talking for you. But let's, let's make sure we get things taken care of before we leave here. Because right now, right now, in this very instant, you are closer to eternity right now than you've ever been. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. I got my promise. And I've given it away a lot through the years. And I've still got it. And if you've gotten your promise, you can give it away. You'll still have it. If you haven't gotten your promise yet, I got something to give you. Let's visit. Father, I thank you this morning for the glorious promise of life that's found in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness that is undeserved, mercy and grace that are freely given. The promise of life 
life beyond this world, life beyond this life, life that we can't even fully understand or appreciate at this moment, but we know it's there because your spirit confirms it in our spirit. Father, I pray for us in this room this morning. If there are those in this room who do not know you, they've never called out to you, they've never confessed, they've never received your forgiveness, I pray for them, Father, that today your spirit would draw them. Father, there's some of us in this room, perhaps, who are struggling with doubt. Let this be a day of affirmation. Father, there's some in this room who came in here today hurting, just wanting to be helped, wanting someone to, to encourage them, to love them, to tell them that there's something to look forward to. We've got that, Father. There's some in this room who took the promise that's been given them. They put it in their pocket and they've never showed it to anyone. They've never shared it. They've never given it away. Father, may your spirit challenge us to be obedient, to be wise, and to lead others, to discover what faith in you is. Father, there's so many things that are represented in this room, and I, I don't know how to address them all, but your Spirit does. And so we ask you, Father, to do in each heart and in each life what brings glory and honor to you. Because this isn't about me, it's not about this church, it's not about us. This is about you and your relationship with us as your creation. So, Father, I pray, speak, draw convict, change, be glorified in every life. That's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.